0: Hey, everybody, it's Lon Sybin, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. Another Monday is here, if you can believe that. We've got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Marcus Brownlee unknowingly becomes an ad on YouTube. I'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, a college eliminates a YouTuber's football scholarship because he was monetizing his videos. Dolby Vision is coming to the Xbox One. And we're also going to talk about why I think Chromeboxes are not home theater PCs and why I don't review them as such. Uh, will Chromebook prices go up now with all these new features coming into the operating system we'll talk about the value of universal power supplies and using them on everything including your home theater equipment and we'll look at the new MacBook keyboards dust protection and whether or not that is going to fix the long-term keyboard problems that I have had and many other users have had as well so let's get to it I wanted to begin by thanking our newest supporters here on the channel, including W.G. Mechahelny. I hope I got that name right. Stephen Fuentes, Jesse, and John Simon, who upgraded his support of the channel. I want to thank these folks and everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis, along with everyone who just watches on an ongoing basis, too, because all of those things together equal channel growth. And we don't have an advertiser this week, but we do have a non-ad and affiliate link for, what else, Prime Day, On Amazon.com, it is running right this minute. It is the digital equivalent of the bargain bin at your favorite retail store. you got to sift through a lot of stuff to find the good deals, but there are plenty to be had. It started at 3 p.m. today, and it's going to run through tomorrow, I believe. So uh, get in there and look for your deals. They'll have things that happen on a schedule basis along with things that are running all day long. If you don't have a Prime membership, you can sign up for a free 30-day trial so you can get in on the deals as well. So let's take a look now at the Week in Review. On the Extra channel, I took a look at a mini-doc with a mini-review. Uh, That is Thunderbolt 3 compatible, so you get dual 4K 60Hz displays along with gigabit Ethernet and a USB 3 port. Perform very nicely, and if you have a Thunderbolt computer, this is probably something better to choose than a USB-C dock that doesn't have the same amount of bandwidth. I had a little bit of a scare with my LG television, uh, which I covered in the Did It Burn video you see there. Uh, What happened was my wife had uh, activated the Chromecast on the TV upstairs. Apparently, the NVIDIA Shield will power on the receiver, which then turns on the TV because I had the HDMI CEC stuff all enabled. And then she switched to another device. But what happens is my audio receiver puts up a static image. So the TV thinks it's displaying something and it wasn't Uh, activating its screensaver or turning itself off. So the image was essentially static for about 20 hours, and I was concerned that it might have burned in. Uh, So you can check out that video and see what happened. It was uh, kind of a neat little experiment to see what happens if you have a static image on an OLED TV overnight. Uh, We also unboxed the Power Up Dart. Uh, One of the two videos on my channel that has gone beyond a million views is my review from four or five years ago of the original Power Up Uh, 3.0, I think is what they called it. And it allows you to control a paper airplane with your phone. And this is the new version that can take off by itself because it has wheels that you attach to the bottom of the apparatus here. But unfortunately, we haven't been able to get this thing to take off yet. And I've had two of my best guys on the job. We can't get it flying. So we're having some issues there. We're going to try to figure out uh, how to get it to fly before we do a review of it. So stay tuned for that. And then on the main channel... Uh, We had my long-awaited home theater update with my new Atmos speakers, and already people have given me better ideas for the Atmos speakers to have some uh, elevated speakers versus upward-firing speakers. I might get a pair of elevated speakers just to try out the differences here. So stay tuned. There's going to be more to come with this. You're never quite done putting together a home theater uh, in that uh, project there. Uh, But one of the things that I... Uh, really wanted to stress in this video is that you don't need to go out and buy new stuff all the time. In fact, most of the speakers that I have upstairs are close to 20 years old, if not older, but they're still working just fine because analog speakers are analog speakers. So see what you got, and then piece it together from there. Uh, We did a live stream, which is the first kind of beta test of the types of live streams that I want to do. Unfortunately, we didn't get all that much viewership for it, but I didn't uh, do a lot of publicity ahead of time. And what we did was experiment Uh, with VR mixed reality capturing using the free Live app. And what this let us do was uh, have um, James, our summer intern, get into uh, a green screen with the VR headset on. He was seeing a different thing than what you all saw. So we were able to put a camera, essentially, up over his shoulder as we were messing around with different VR apps. And the computer was able to render his scene and the scene that you, the viewers, saw. And we could actually move the camera around the scene and get... Uh, Everything to update appropriately with it. It was a really fun experiment. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, We're going to upload a how to video on the extras channel with snippets from this one so you can learn how to do this yourself in your own environment. Really cool stuff where this VR is going. And although it's not a real topic of interest amongst the viewership there, I'm having a real fun time playing with it down here. So I'm going to keep doing things now and then with that. But I'd love to get your feedback on how you felt that live stream went. So if you haven't watched it, check it out because I really want to do something where I cover a topic. So it's more than me just sitting here taking questions. We cover a topic and then have an ongoing conversation with the audience as we are doing it. So let me know what you thought there. We also reviewed the HB Box G2, which is powered by a KB Lake Celeron, not to be confused with the Celeron chips that often come in these other mini PCs that are based on Intel's lower-end architecture. And I have a piece of errata from that uh, video because I had talked about its browserbench.org speedometer test and how it was running lower uh, than the Intel NUX that we had looked at uh, just a few months prior. And what happened was is that uh, BrowserBench has changed their test uh, from 1.0 to 2.0, and we were still running the 1.0 test on just about every computer that came into the channel here. And I say just about... Uh, because when we got the new Chromebox in, I actually did all the initial prep work on that myself. Typically, I have Corey or James uh, begin the initial process of getting all the software installed and the benchmarks run and everything. And as a result, I ran the 2.0 test on the Chromebox when I should have been looking for the 1.0 test. And the reason why we've been running 1.0 is that our procedures doc has a short URL in it, Uh, that links over to the speedometer 1.0 test. So when they revved from one to two, they didn't change the URL. It's still the same URL for 1.0 as it was before. But if you go directly to browserbench.org and click on the test button, it brings you to 2.0. And I just missed the news that they revved this uh, test back in January. So I reran 1.0 on the Chromebox, and we did get a better score than the Intel Nux. I pinned a comment to the video so you can see exactly where that score came out. And what's funny is that from a user perspective, it doesn't feel all that much different, but the uh, benchmark, of course, does speak for itself. So what we're going to be doing now moving forward is we're going to record both the 1.0 and the 2.0 results for a little while until I get enough of a sample size of the new 2.0 benchmark that I can make better comparisons from one computer to the next. So we'll look at those Gemini Lake uh, Intel NUCs that I still have in stock. We'll run the test on those. I have one more machine I do need to check out because I think I might have run the uh, 2.0 test on that Uh, ARM laptop from Asus. So our result might be a little bit off on that one too. So I will run that. We'll test it and see if that one is also a bit off and if we have to make an errata change on that one as well. I hate when this happens, when we miss something like this. It's kind of obvious, but uh, you know you get into your procedures and uh, this is what happens. And of course, the one time the procedures aren't followed because I did it myself, Uh, we ran into this issue, but we're going to correct it now moving forward. And I don't think any of the other reviews that we've done are uh, at issue here because all of those were the 1.0 test. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. And this is week 72 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And I've been talking a lot about live streams and we... As I mentioned earlier, I finally did one, and I wanted to figure out from all of you the best time in which I should do these things. For me, uh, Friday afternoons here in the United States seem to work best, uh, but what I noticed was I didn't get all that much viewership. Typically, when I do one of these unannounced live streams, I get about 100 to 150 people tuning in. Uh, This one, the best we had was about 40 concurrent viewers Uh, as it went on, and not a lot of interest in the replay either. So it could have been the topic, uh, but it also could have been the time in which I did it. So I wanted to get some idea from all of you as to what time works best. And this is where the complexity comes in, because I want to put up a form uh, that you can fill out to let me know when you think the best time would be to have a live stream. But I know that everybody who watches this channel is in different parts of the world. Half of our viewership is outside the U.S., Another big chunk in the U.S. is are on different time zones. So people in California are are three hours behind uh, where I am. So I need your help in finding a way that I can collect uh, all of this information in a way that I can easily convert the time zones over and find the best time uh, that works for a majority of the people around the world so we can better plan for this moving forward. So what I need from all of you first, before I get what times work best for you, Uh, is a form collection method that works with multiple time zones so that I can uh, very easily convert those maybe to UTC, find the UTC time that works the best for everybody, and then Uh, come up with a plan moving forward. So if you know of a way to collect that information, maybe there's a way to do it on Google Forms or something, uh, let me know down below and we'll begin the process of building a form that I can probably announce to you uh, next week. Again, I want to make the uh, most of my time and yours, so I don't want to really start on a project if I'm going to be streaming at the wrong times. Uh, So let me know what you think down in the comments below for a form utility, and we'll take it from there. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye this week, and I've got a couple of YouTube business-related stories to chime in on. Uh, This one really interested me because the other day, uh, Marcus Brownlee tweeted out something about his OnePlus 6 review. Uh, So he got the phone in to review. He wasn't paid to do the review, uh, he did his editorial thing, and uh, after the review was done and up and uh, published to the world, OnePlus decided, allegedly, because we don't know who actually sponsored it, uh, to sponsor the review on YouTube. In other words, they paid to boost his review out uh, to people on YouTube. And as a result, he said, this video is now his most viewed video ever uh, but a lot of those views were paid for by OnePlus, and Marcus was kind of upset about that because it made it look like he was partnering with them for that video, which was not the case. He, again, t- took it in as an editorial review unit, uh, had no contact with the company insofar as what to cover. Uh, but when you're on YouTube browsing around, you see his thumbnail, and you see this OnePlus 6 review with ad next to it, and people might get the wrong impression that he's benefiting Uh, somehow from this. So although he got a lot of views on the video, uh, these kind of views don't actually help you at all. So even though they paid to boost this and get his video out to more people, um, there's no subscribe button on the ad, number one. Uh, But number two, YouTube is not looking at paid views as a means of increasing your search engine placement when uh, looking at watch time and that kind of thing. So it really doesn't help him at all, really. Uh, And they took his video and essentially paid to boost it out to others. And that's one of the issues that Uh, The YouTube platform has is that anybody can advertise any video on the platform. Most people choose to make their own ad and put it up there and have YouTube put that out as the ad. But you could uh, pay a lot of money and put my videos out as ads to people across YouTube if you wanted to. There's no prevention of you doing that with my content. Uh, and this is one of the pitfalls you run into because you could make it look like you're having some kind of endorsement deal going on when you don't. So one of the things that Marcus suggested was that maybe there's a small tag or something uh, that this was put out or published or advertised by someone other than the person who made the original content because people again are going to be confused that somehow he is endorsing this product when he is not. And this story caught my eye because it's once again another example of how people are uh, wrongly equating YouTube monetization with their right to speak. We've seen this many times now as people get their videos demonetized and being censored or whatever, but the reality is your videos are not getting taken down, it's just that your videos don't align with YouTube's economic goals and they have a right to run ads or not on any video They choose. Now, this is a different kind of story, though, still related to that same argument. Uh, And this involves Donald De La Hay, who was a University of Central Florida football player who was there on scholarships. So he was a kicker for the team. Uh, The deal is here in the U.S. at a Division I school like this is that you get, in many cases, full tuition. They cover the entire expense of going to the university. Uh, In this case, it was well north of $20,000 a year, uh, and that's just the Florida resident rate. Uh, And in exchange for that, you play football on the team, and they provide a lot of academic support for for student-athletes. I went to school with a number of uh, student-athletes who were not in class all that often, but they were off playing basketball games around the country and getting uh, academic support uh, separately, So there's a lot of services that are provided to these student athletes in addition to that tuition waiver. And the rule here in the U.S., according to the NCAA, which is the governing body of collegiate athletics, is that you cannot profit personally from being a student athlete. And this is something that's had some controversy over the years because – Uh, Some student-athletes want to be considered employees and have greater benefits available to them, but uh, this argument here is about the fact that uh, De La Haye was monetizing his YouTube channel, uh, which was his daily vlog about being a student in college, but he was often doing things that involved his role as a student-athlete on the team. Now, on its surface here, just having a video on YouTube about being a student-athlete is not against NCAA rules, unless you monetize the video, and that's what he was doing. He monetized his channel, uh, probably making a couple grand a month, maybe, give or take. Uh, And as a result of that, he was told many times to turn off the monetization. You can keep doing the videos, just turn off the monetization because you're going to run afoul of the NCAA rules that you signed and agreed to when you took the scholarship. But nonetheless, he refused to do that. They pulled the scholarship away from him after multiple warnings to stop monetizing the channel, uh, and now he's suing on First Amendment grounds saying that they uh, violated his free speech. And uh, this is really, I think, a non-starter for me. I mean, if you agree to this um, this scholarship, that's part of the rules, that you can't make money from your student athlete position, which is what he was doing. So now he's you know, losing a 20-something thousand dollar a year scholarship over this. Now, this is in court right now. He's suing, uh, and it looks like the case is continuing on. A judge uh, denied the... Uh, the Motion to throw the case out. So it looks like this is going to move forward a little bit. What's interesting about this case to me, though, is whether or not the courts will see monetization as your First Amendment right. I don't think it is. Uh, and I think that likely will be where this case ends up. It's also very likely this will probably get settled long before it gets to trial. So we'll just keep an eye on this and see where it goes. But again, you can't equate monetization with free speech, especially when you sign a document agreeing not to use your student athlete position to enrich yourself. And to more techie topics now, the Xbox One is getting Dolby Vision support. This is coming not only to the Xbox One X, but also the less expensive One S. Uh, That's the one I have upstairs, so when I get that update, I'll let you know how it works. But it's not going to work yet with the Blu-ray player, which is, I think, probably why people would want this in the first place. Uh, But it will work with Netflix and a few other apps that support it. So I'll be looking for this update and let you know when it comes down. And Apple refreshed their MacBook Pro laptops this week. Unfortunately, the GPUs are still not fast enough for me to make an upgrade just yet, but they did talk about the new quieter keyboard, and they were telling members of the press this had nothing to do uh, with all of the angst over the current situation involving the MacBook and MacBook Pro keyboards. And uh, iFixit took one apart and discovered that they have put in a very thin silicon layer over the keys to prevent dust from getting into the mechanism, which is largely contributing to all these keyboard problems that people are having. I am constantly dealing with keyboard issues on my MacBook Pro here. My MacBook, which I bought about three years ago, has a dead shift key, essentially, in one part of it, so I have to take these things in and have Apple look at them. But the problem is I'm going to be without these computers for a while while I get these keyboards fixed. And it looks like the quieter keyboards are the result of a, looks like a potential intermediate fix here until they can come up with some crazy new design. So thin and light has consequences, and this unfortunate keyboard design was one of them. But we'll have to see if this new silicon thing will make a difference. I'm not sure, though, if this is going to be the keyboard that you get in your computer when you bring it in for repair. I'm thinking this is probably only going to be on the new MacBooks, which makes me wonder if you do get it fixed, how long is it going to be for another piece of dust to get in there and begin uh, the problems all over again? We'll have to see what the long-term results are of these Apple keyboard repairs. And now it's time for a QA and a from you, the viewers, and our first question comes in here from Dixon Daly, who comments about all these new features coming to Chrome OS and what its implications might be for cost in the future, because we've got Android and Linux, and maybe someone's going to port wine over to the Uh, Chromebooks, so you can run Windows apps in Wine uh, through Linux on them or whatever and uh, this is a great time I think to start getting into Chrome OS because you can get a really nice computer for a reasonable price because the operating system cost is not quite there and we're really getting ourselves to a third option now where before it was Mac or Windows now it's Chrome OS Windows or Mac and I think that is great for consumers to have many more choices and as a result of this Yes, we will see more expensive Chromebooks, but I don't think we're going to see the end of the inexpensive ones because education is still a really critical component of the Chrome OS strategy. That's how they got it going in the first place. And these Chromebooks now are so cheap that many schools, including the one that I have here in my town, are now issuing them to every single student. It's a great equalizer for uh, schools that often dealt with a digital divide, as they used to call it, between the kids who could afford to have a computer at home and those that couldn't. Now, everybody has a computer because they are affordable. I don't think that's that's gonna change at all moving forward, but I think what we will see soon are really nice premium laptops. Google's been releasing these Pixelbooks now for many years, and a lot of people were scratching their heads, like, why do you need an i7 Pixelbook to run Chrome OS, but now with Linux coming in and a lot more functionality coming with the Android apps, you might want a little more horsepower behind it, so I think we'll see some really decent MacBook competitors now uh, sliding into that space, and even though the PC market itself is kind of declining, uh, we're at a point now where we've really got three major commercial operating systems to choose from, in addition to all the open source stuff out there also, Uh, so you've got Chrome OS... Mac OS and Windows as really usable operating systems that are largely now fully featured now that we can run a lot of Linux apps on Chrome OS. And I'm sure as they develop that Linux feature further, the performance is going to improve and we'll see many more options. And I think part of what drove this is that uh, Google was noticing that, I heard this through press reports and whatnot, uh, that a lot of their developers choose to use a Mac for doing their work because they liked the overall industrial design and they liked that it was a Unix-based operating system driving it. Uh, Now you can get a really nicely built Chromebook that can do all the same things as a Mac, maybe for less money. So we'll have to see what impact this has on Apple's slow but steady little growth in market share over time here and what that might mean, uh, especially in the developer community as well. So lots of cool stuff happening with Chrome OS. I would not worry about the prices going up for standard Chromebooks at all. Now, a lot of people commented on my HP Chromebox review about the fact that I didn't include any real media testing in that video, nor did I look at installing Windows on it or anything like that. And there's a reason why I didn't. Uh, First of all, it's not easy to install Windows on it, probably impossible right now on that particular Chromebox, and the media capabilities on it really are not good. I tested Kodi and Plex, and all of the things that I usually look for in a home theater PC did not work on that device. No audio pass-through, no 4K at 60 hertz. It did do 30 hertz, but that was the max. Uh, It didn't support Uh, frame rate and resolution switching in those applications either. So all the things that I look for in a media player just don't work through the Chrome OS operating system, either through the browser or uh, through an Android app that you're trying to run on it. That might change at some point in the future as Chrome looks at... Growing its market share into more general consumer uses, but there are much better things out there running with the same processor that we're going to take a look at for those purposes. And I found uh, this device on Amazon. This is a $150 bare bones machine running with the exact same processor as that Chromebox. You have to add RAM and storage to it as you do often with these bare bones computers, but you will get what is essentially the same system uh, that is more open and that you can run Windows and Linux on it uh, and get what you really want to run going. And we're going to hopefully get one of these in very soon and run some tests on it. And that's why I really don't recommend these Chromeboxes as media players, because there are so many more options out there uh, to achieve that with a computer that has the same physical footprint and costs the same or less. And, a couple of years ago, that wasn't the case. So when the initial Chromebox came out from HP, I was so excited. This was probably now four or five years ago because there really wasn't a, there wasn't much of a selection of really decent mini PCs at the time. And HP was selling these, I think, for $200 or less uh, with two gigs of RAM and some storage, and you can actually use them for stuff. And because they had the, at the time, I think it was the Haswell Celeron you were getting very comparable desktop performance that you would see out of a much more expensive computer. They were a great bargain. And then we started doing some crazy stuff to it, like installing Windows on it, for example, or using the Crouton method to get other Linux apps running on them. But they took a lot of work, and you had to spend a lot of time and do things the computer wasn't designed to do. Uh, Or now you can just go out and spend 150 bucks, get some RAM and some storage, and uh, you'll you'll have a better experience doing the things that... Uh, this computer can do versus the limitations that they kind of bake into these. In fact, when you wanted to install Windows on this device, you had to take it apart and pull out a jumper so that you could put it into developer mode just to get it to uh, do something other than what it was designed to do. That effort just isn't worth it, especially when you can spend the same money or less on something that can deliver the features you want right out of the box. Now, I got a lot of great suggestions on my home theater video about some things I should try out, and one thing that I did not have that Anthony C. Brown noticed was an uninterruptible power supply for that room. Now, typically, we look at these devices as a means of keeping your desktop PC powered long enough in a power outage so you can shut it down without any real problems, but they also work very well at protecting your computer from power issues that might occur, including surges and lightning strikes and other things that might happen because they put a little buffer uh, between the electric company's system and your computer, and they do a little better of, of a job at that uh, versus just a regular uh, surge protector, for example. So one of the things that I'm looking at right now is getting a UPS power supply for upstairs. And I've got a bunch of them throughout the studio. In fact, I just uh, did a refresh project uh, where I got everything updated for my most important equipment, including my TriCaster, uh, my desktop computer set up over there, along with my NAS devices, because if you have a power outage, you don't want things dropping out immediately, and you also want some of the surge protection. One thing that I've noticed I've had to do over the years on my UPS systems is probably swap out the batteries every two or three years or so. And unfortunately, a lot of these systems don't tell you when the battery is bad. You find out when the power goes out and your computer Uh, switches off the second the power goes away. And that happened to me a few months ago, which is why I went off on this project to replace batteries or just get new UPS systems altogether. Some of the newer higher end UPS systems are actually pretty cool. Uh, I got one for my equipment room over there that I have all the NAS devices plugged in that uh, tells you the load that you're currently experiencing on it. So you can get an idea as to how much time you'll have to shut things down. So my NAS devices there can probably stay on for the better part of an hour or more. Uh, given what the little chart is telling me uh, on the device. But you can also get something less expensive that just has a big battery that you can uh, use to protect your desktop computers. And oftentimes those are good enough. Just know that they're lead acid batteries and they often need to be uh, swapped out as they get older because they just stop working one day and that is it. So love to hear your thoughts on UPS power supplies down below. I'm gonna be checking out Prime Day today to see if I can get a good deal on one for upstairs because I just did not even think to get one and I really should have. Uh, and I'll be doing that very shortly. Now, our channel of the week this week isn't so much a channel as it is some really interesting behind-the-scenes videos I found on Alonzo Bell's YouTube channel about cable television services, including the Internet and how it gets delivered to homes in a neighborhood. Uh, So he looks at some of the major components that bring these signals to your home, including the cable television power supplies that sit on all of the poles that you see driving by. So you'll often see these boxes hanging there. Uh, Inside the box is what you will see in his video there, some batteries and uh, some other equipment. He's also got a insider look at one of the cable head ends where everything is transmitted out to neighborhoods. And he also shows what a cable television node looks like. Uh, These are the silver boxes that typically hang up on the telephone poles. And what these do is convert the fiber optic lines to coax. Uh, which is the cable that ultimately delivers these services to your home and it shows you really just how close fiber optic cabling is to your particular residence but they still find that coax cable is more effective in cost uh, for getting these signals delivered to neighborhoods so what they do is typically put one of these nodes in run fiber to it and then have the coax cable come out from it And one of the things I've been struggling with here is upload speed. I don't have a lot of upload speed available to me. And I was wondering, how far are the fiber optic cables from my house? As it turns out, after watching these videos, the fiber optic cables are right out at the driveway. Uh, but I still have coax coming into the house to deliver all of these services. So I'm hoping one day uh, I will get fiber to the home and they won't have to go too far to hook it up for me. It might actually be affordable for me to get it even if I have to pay uh, for that cable to be run. It's really not that far from uh, where it is. And I also discovered from these videos how many people I share my node with. And as it turns out, there are only two other homes on my node right now. So I've always had very good service here and that's probably why I'm not sharing much of that coax cable with anybody else, and that is leading to some uh, good downstream performance for me. So this week on the channel, we've got a couple of things shot and ready to go already. I got in this MP300 NVMe M2 drive the other day, and I figured it'd be fun to do a comparison between a low-cost NVMe drive like this one and an equally low-cost M2 SATA drive on the same computer. So I took out that uh, Hades Canyon NUC, which was that uh, gaming NUC we looked at not too long ago, that's got the AMD graphics and the Intel processor on it. And it has uh, slots that are compatible with both M2 SATA and M2 NVMe. And you can see what the performance is between the two. That will be coming up later this week. Kind of a fun little uh, explainer and review there that we'll have. And I also shot a video showing how to take these $25 WISE security cameras and turn them into generic cameras so you can hook them up to your Synology surveillance station, for example, along with anything else that's compatible with a H.264 device. It's a know, kind of a firmware hack at the moment, but it works. And I found some pitfalls that I will help you get through uh, in the course of setting that up. So you can check out that review or video a little later this week. And I'll have some other things as well. I've got some mini PCs and a cheap laptop coming in. I'm not sure when they're getting here, but when they do get here, we'll review and uh, get them up for you all to see. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv slash support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, you get a little commission going to the channel as a result. You can also sign up for a Plex pass at the link that you see there or gift it to somebody else, and we get commissions on all of that as well. We have other channels that I do here, the Extras channel in particular, where I post supplementary content and short little snippet kinds of things. Uh, we have the podcast at lawn.tv podcast, which I will have a new episode up uh, very shortly, we have an interview that is almost ready to go, so be on the lookout for that. The Snippets Channel is a place where I take portions of this show and upload them as shorter snippets so you don't have to watch the whole half hour to get just the part you want. Uh, and We also have my live stream archive at lawntv slash livestreams where you can see what we just did along with all of the other live streams we have done in the past. Now, if you want to get notified whenever I do anything, you can click on the notification bell. You'll get stuff pushed out to your phone and through email, however you want it. That's one easy way to do it. We also have an email list that you can find at lawntv slash email. I finally sent out an email the first time since February, so I don't send these out all that often, so it's one way to keep uh, in touch with what I'm up to. I was also curious if you all would like an email list that goes out once a week automatically with just a list of what I've done. That might be something that some of you might be interested in, so let me know and I'll set that up We also have a Facebook page at lawntv slash Facebook. The Facebook group is really growing nicely at lawntv slash Facebook group. A lot of active discussions there, so check it out. And we have the store where I resell things that I purchased to review here on the channel. So up there right now is that Chromebox G2 at a used price, so it's not as expensive as a new one. And we also have uh, Mario Tennis Aces for the Switch. I was playing it a little bit, not all that crazy about it, so I'm just gonna sell it. Kind of like my own personal tag sale here too as well. So you can find that. And we have a few other things, including that Hades Canyon Nuck uh, at a pretty decent price as well. If you want to get notified whenever I do update the store, you can go to lawntv slash store alert and I send out an email every time we add something or reduce a price. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Let me know what you thought down in the comments below. Thank you for all that you're doing to help keep this channel growing. I appreciate everybody, no matter what they do to help the channel grow, even just watching is really important to us. So keep that stuff going. And I will see you all later this week with a lot more cool content with uh, mostly inexpensive devices this week. Until next time, this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.tv supporters, including gold level supporters, Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, Bill Reiner,